Hi everyone, it's Amy here. Before we begin, Daniel and I would like to acknowledge that the sound is not as crisp as we'd ordinarily like for one of our episodes, and we apologise for that. We would also like to thank Victor Brinkat from Pat the Cat Studios for his work in fixing up my mistakes. Cool, we're on air. Let's go. And welcome to today's episode of Rated E for Educational. Uh, if you've ever watched a movie and thought, you know, some of my teachers looked like a little green goblin, then this is the movie for you. Today we are reviewing Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, my name is Daniel Cohen, I'm one of your hosts, and with me is my co-host Amy Cotton. Hi everyone. Now Amy, I understand that you're somewhat of a fan of this movie. This movie of this franchise, I love Star Wars, and um, I have been expressing my joy all day by singing Star Wars related theme songs. Uh, I work at the desk next to Amy's, and I can verify that that is exactly what's happened today. I am a fan of Star Wars, but clearly not to the extent that you are, Amy. So. <laughs> Deep in it. <laughs> so, Star Wars, uh, especially this one, uh, Empire Strikes Back is the first film I can watch, I remember watching. So I wow. remember being sick at home and the, the VCR was on and it's the first <laughs> memory. I know I must have seen films before that, but it's the first thing I remember seeing. Yep. Um, I must admit I have a little bit of trepidation coming into reviewing this film because I know it has quite the following and while I'm a fan, I'm nothing like so many of the people that, uh, even in my friendship group, but the people that I know of that go to things like Comic-Con, uh, I'm, I'm nowhere near that league. So I feel that no matter what I do, I will be doing a disservice to some listeners when I talk about this film. Oh, I think it's safe to say that even with my level of loving this film deeply there are still people who know more about it and can correct me on every fact i know so don't worry so let's let's just make a commitment from the start to say we're sorry to everyone who really loves this uh we are looking at this from uh specifically an educational point of view and there is a pretty strong link that we want to talk about uh but when it comes to uh just fanning out on the actual movie uh we hope we don't offend too many people. Please don't write to us. <laughs> <laughs> but I should highlight that I am dressed as Princess Leia right now. I'm dressed as Jabba the Hutt because I got the films mixed up. <laughs> I'm not dressed as that Princess Leia. <laughs> <laughs> and because this is a workplace, I'm moving on. <laughs> um, so, Amy, <laughs> you... Well, we can't cover all of the trivia, and I'm going to say you can't cover all of the trivia that you know. I believe you have some trivia to go through for us. I think we, we always like to take a moment and place the film in context. So um, this year, 1980, was the year that the films like The Blues Brothers, The Shining, uh, Friday the 13th, Caddyshack, Fame, all these films came out. These are films that are still reverberating through our culture. Caddyshack, not quite with a claim. Oh, Caddyshack? That's <laughs> outstanding. <laughs> I, I had no idea it was a peer of Star Wars. That's um, fabulous. Temporaneous peer, perhaps. 
<laughs> but Belize versus the Shining, classic films. Absolutely. In terms of other things that were happening, things like The Far Side were debuting. Wow. So we are old. Yep. Because there are people listening right now who will be like, The Far Side, what's that? Yep. At the risk of dating myself, this film was released before I was born too, so. Well, yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but barely. <laughs> uh, other things that were happening, so Jimmy Carter was president, so you know, turn your mind right back to that. And um, the U.S. was actually boycotting the Summer Olympics in Moscow that year. So things were happening in America. In terms of other pop culture, Pac-Man was actually the best-selling arcade game um, of all time, was released in that year. So how much Pac-Man have you played in your life? Not a lot. It was gone by the time I got into computers. Am I that much older than you? No. Was my computer that much older than yours? Yes. Ah, I understand. Uh, other important cultural references happening that year, of course, uh, in Dallas, everyone was wondering who shot JR. What's a JR? Watch the Simpsons <laughs> and find out. <laughs> I know the story. <laughs> so uh, in terms of Star Wars, it's an interesting film uh, because George Lucas initially thought it was one of the worst films in the series, uh, but the fans, the fans quite like this one. So it, well, should you take, take us through the story, Daniel? Absolutely. This is the second film in the series of the original Star Wars films, of course, and we open on the traditional scrolling text, giving us a bit of an outline of where we are in the story of the Rebels and the Empire. Uh, so we open on a droid landing on a distant ice-covered planet. Luke goes on patrol and gets attacked by a wild creature, and we get to see some amazing stop-motion in action. Uh, and, of course, then we're introduced to find here old friends, Han Solo and Chewie, completing repairs on their ship. We then discover Han has a price on his head. We're then uh, reintroduced to Princess Leia as she and Han have a bit of an argument all about how they feel about each other, which leads to some petulant behaviour on both parts. Uh, we're then reintroduced again to our old favourites C-3PO and R2-D2 having a bit of a chat. Luke, who has been attacked, doesn't return to the base. So, of course, best friend Han Solo goes searching. Uh, we then cut to Luke, who is trapped in a cave by the wild creature. Uh, he's clearly about to become a meal when Luke demonstrates his increasing ability to use the Force by reacquiring his lightsaber, freeing himself and injuring the beast in the process. Luke escapes from his cave into the forbidding weather and collapses. Uh, we then see that he's becoming locked out uh, from the base overnight and see Han going out for the rescue. In his hypothermic stupor, we, we hear the voice of Luke's guiding mentor, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He receives the advice from this spectre to go to the Dagobah system and find Yoda. Luke agrees and follows on blind faith. We then get to the grossest part of the movie, where Han finds Luke just in the nick of time and then cuts open 
dead creature revealing all of the innards and helping to keep Luke alive by using the warmth of the dead beast. Luke finds shelter inside the dead animal carcass and they are then rescued the next day when the search party eventually finds them. They're found by Rogue 2 and Luke then awakes in a strange liquid-filled tube. We then move to Luke, recovering in his makeshift hospital bed, and once again, Han and Leia are arguing about whether or not Han is going to stay. We then get to another moment of awkwardness, where to prove a point, Leia leans over and kisses Luke Skywalker. The awkwardness to become apparent later on. No spoilers here. Uh, We then have the droids that landed at the beginning, coming back and attacking uh, we have an evacuation of the Rebels, uh, where we are then introduced to the Imperial fleet and get our first look at Darth Vader. Darth Vader decides to go to the Hoth system uh, after the droids have suspected the suspicious signs of life uh, in contravention to the General's advice. That General, deciding to argue with Darth Vader, finds that it's not really a good career move. With increasing danger with the encroaching armada of the Imperial Force, Luke gets to a ship and finds his exit to go to Dagobah as the Rebels start to make a run for it, trying to escape with their lives. Vader once again kills the captain of the ship for his incompetence in jumping out of hyperdrive too close to the planet and giving everyone a warning. A battle then ensues. We then move to Luke in his fighter, trying to hold off the evil forces coming to destroy the rebel base. Uh, Luke's partner in the back, uh, Gunner Dak, manages to die in a malfunction after Luke said, just hang on, when he gave the warning that he was about to have a malfunction. Uh, The assault to take down the rebel base's shields results in some more awesome stop motion and some great uh, battle scenes. Luke has one of the most gentle crashes in the history of film and escapes from his ship just before it is crushed by the uh, encroaching forces. As Vader leads the assault on the rebel base, all of the main characters manage to escape just in the nick of time. The rebels on the Millennium Falcon are chased and they manage to escape into an asteroid field. Surely no one's crazy enough to follow him in there, but with Darth Vader uh, behind you, They all head into the field to catch the Millennium Falcon. They manage to find a place to hide uh, and stop to wait out the invading forces. Luke, meanwhile, has gone off to Dagobah and once again manages to crash land and ends up in a swamp. He leaps from his ship just before it sinks. Uh, In a moment of character definition, Luke speaks to R2-D2 the robot running on wheels trying to get through a swamp as if it's a three-year-old when Batu falls into the swamp uh, and Luke gets irritated. Clearly, his emotional intelligence is not on display there. (laughs) Uh, We get a glimpse of Darth Vader without his helmet as the uh, new captain of the ship comes in to inform him that the rebels have escaped. C-3PO on the bridge next to Han Solo uh, is explaining the obvious to which Han Solo reminds him that it's lucky he was there. Otherwise, how would we have known? (laughs) 
Luke takes stock of his situation with a sinking ship and a muddy, wet R2-D2 and says to himself, I've got to find Yoda if he even exists, recognising that he's on a bit of a mission from a spiritual voice he saw in a hypothermic stupor. Uh, then we come across this strange little creature uh, who starts talking to Luke. Luke clearly makes the assumption that this creature isn't very impressive, uh, but when he mentions uh, that he's trying to find Yoda, he's told that he can be taken to Yoda. We'll leave Luke following this strange little creature on his quest to find this being called Yoda. We then move back to the Millennium Falcon uh, and their hiding place as they're trying to get the ship running, and we see Vader uh, instruct his battlecruiser to move outside of the asteroid field so that he can call through to the Emperor. Vader takes his instructions from the Emperor and in the discussion is given the project of turning Luke to the dark side to become a powerful ally for them. Yoda and Luke are then in the hut having food where Luke demonstrates once again his short fuse. He and Yoda hear the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke finally realises that it is actually Yoda he is sitting with. Um, Yoda outlines that he doesn't want to have Luke as a student. He's 800 years old and has been doing this for a very long time, but eventually through the discussion between the two of them and the spectre of Obi-Wan, uh, decides to take Luke as a student. We go back to the Millennium Falcon where they start to make their escape uh, rapidly because they've discovered they're actually inside a giant space worm. They manage to do some trickery and avoid capture. Once again, frustrating Darth Vader and his forces. Luke starts his training. This consists of him running through a swamp carrying Yoda like a backpack. Uh, he also starts doing some acrobatics and starts exercising the force under Yoda's instruction. Yoda waits patiently for Luke to achieve success, but carries a look of concern on his face. We then cut to the Millennium Falcon disappearing and only to be followed by one of the bounty hunters that Darth Vader has set on them. While the, the team in Millennium Falcon is seeking refuge with Landau at his mining base, uh, we see Luke continuing to get frustrated with his lack of progress in developing his skills with the Force. We get the classic line from Yoda. Try not. Do. Or do not. There is no try. Luke, feeling more and more frustrated with his lack of progress, claims that it's just impossible to do what Yoda was asking. Yoda, about a quarter the size of Luke, then steps up and says, uh, without saying a word, proves that it can be done and raises Luke's ship out of the swamp. Luke exclaims, I don't believe it. And he's told, that is why you fail. Luke's renewed sense in the Force sees him practicing with even more focus and starts to get visions of the future. He sees his friends in danger as they approach Landau's mining base. 
he decides he has to go and save his friends, despite the warnings from Yoda saying that he's not ready to go and he hasn't learnt enough control. We then see Han rekindling a friendship with Landau only to be betrayed. Landau sees the error of his ways once the deal he made with the Empire uh, is changed at the womb of the evil dictator Darth Vader and goes to warn the team that are locked up that it is actually a trap. Han Solo gets put into carbon freeze to be sent off to Jabba the Hutt for the bounty. The bounty hunter is happy because he's going to get paid either way. Luke comes in to the rescue. We'll have another big battle. Luke then faces up against Vader. Luke goes up against Vader in his final exam to becoming a Jedi. Vader tempts Luke with his alternate teachings and different options, which finalizes with the biggest spoiler alert of the century. He is Luke's father. What? Meanwhile, on the Millennium Falcon, R2 manages to fix the hyperdrive. They get out as quickly as possible, only for Luke to connect with Leia through his use of the Force. The Millennium Falcon turns around and rescues Luke. He gets his hand replaced with some amazing medical technology. And they disappear off into the horizon to continue the fight another day. How'd that go? <laughs> Listening to that, I realise how much very deep knowledge I have of Star Wars. Um, <laughs> I- so, so what I'm hearing is that I didn't explain much about the movie. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I- the way um, you avoided some of the names of the creatures, etc., I was like, well, I actually know what those things are. Like, I think I knew what wampers and tauntauns were before I knew what, you know, sloths or capybaras were. Yep. And they're real creatures. So I should highlight, I wasn't avoiding them. I just don't know them. <laughs> hmm. And like I said... The focus is on the characters, not the detail, because if I try to go into the detail, I have no hope. Which is why when we're talking about the trivia, I did avoid the technical advances that this film actually brought to the film industry and the repercussions that are still being felt through our film to today. Um, I sort of avoided all of that. It's um, intense. Uh, I could talk for three hours about some of that stuff. Absolutely, isn't it? That was the approach taking to trying to do a synopsis is that I'm not going to cover all of the information that people think is worthwhile, just like we can't cover all of the things. Like if you look at the um, credits on any movie with any kind of CGI, you're going to see Lucasfilm somewhere in the credits. And it's quite phenomenal that this is what spurned an entire industry. And so there's no way we can hope to do it justice in the length of this podcast. We'll just tip our hats to Industrial Light and Magic and Sound and say, yes, you guys are awesome. And I'm going to stick to what I know, which is education. (laughs) So, Amy, you have much more knowledge about this 
what is having watched this now with a particular lens, mm. what's your assessment of the movie? Watching from an education lens, uh, I'm not seeing a lot of great practice on display. <laughs> uh, and it, it was interesting. What I, I think I was tempted a little bit by the dark side, but we'll see how I feel at the end of the discussion. <laughs> well, I think that's the point. We're always tempted by it. Um, for me, it's a wonderful movie. Uh, I love the theme. I love the genre. Um, it's exciting. Uh Watching it to break it down into a sentence-by-sentence synopsis of the film kind of made me realise there's not a huge amount that's actually going on of complexity uh, because it's they're coming to attack the base, they try to escape, they get chased, then they try to escape, they get chased again and caught, there's another battle, and then they escape again. And essentially, that's all there is to the movie. So it doesn't – with some of the stuff that I enjoy watching these days, um, there's not a lot of the complexity that I've grown to love in movies. And the character development, there's not a lot that happens. Um, and the petulant behaviour of some of the characters was really something I hadn't noticed as overtly before. But it's still fun to watch. It's a lot of fun to watch. I think you, you're looking at characters too. A lot of them are, you know, they're 20 sort of in that bracket of um, yeah. they're still petulant in those <laughs> ways. And I think if I put it in terms of uh, the movies that you highlighted that are its peers like Caddyshack, mm. this is a masterpiece in scripting and dialogue in comparison. Yeah, film and TV has moved on a fair bit. <laughs> it certainly bit. has. Although, it, you know, it doesn't hold a light to, you know, the Blues Brothers in terms of, you know, content. Yeah, <laughs> but, that's right. But The Shining was, you know, there were films out there with uh, moral um, complexity, but even so, the what we know as Star Wars and what we expect from Star Wars these days is very different. Yes. And the... The myth and the the wider universe of the Star Wars um, story is much more complex than what is just shown in this single movie. Yeah. And so, and it's always going to be difficult because this is part two of a trilogy and if you then go a step further to what George Lucas actually wrote, it's a sixth of the entire story. The, the original story, then you're not going to have all of that because the story arc goes across multiple films. And ever-expanding. So Yeah, of yeah. course. Um, and I think we do need to remember that this was visually and um, audio, audio stunning. Yes. Uh, that's a poor sentence, but you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> so you weren't so much going for just the – you wanted to know what happened to the characters and you wanted the narrative, of course, but really you were going in there to be visually surprised yeah, and also you're hearing things that are unusual. Like it was just a complex uh, yeah. audiovisual experience. And for me, that still holds up today because uh, you might have mentioned uh, you might have noticed that I mentioned the stop motion. Um, I love stop motion, yes. and it looks so cheesy by today's standards. But I remember seeing movies for the first time at the cinemas that had stop motion in them, and being amazed at the graphics and the uh, the portrayal of things, and when compared to CGI that we have today, mm. it 
really does look like something that I might do with um, my kids at school. Mm. Um, but watching it in this film, it's still amazing. What I loved about the film too is it used uh, obviously Jim Henson's puppetry yes. uh, team for Yoda and a few other little things too. Uh, the I really enjoyed that version of Yoda because it was actually a natural-looking yep. um, incarnation of him as opposed to the CGI version. Like, I, I want to be a little bit easy on the CGI version of him because it wasn't the beginning of proper CGI digital film. Obviously, of course. since then it's moved on even more in leaps and bounds. But, but it, it was still no Jar Jar Binks. No. So. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the, the puppetry, uh, it, I don't want to use the word wholesome, it's just more organic yeah. to look at. It's interesting looking back at that thing, yeah, that's the Yoda I like. And I get the feeling that you, like me, grew up watching The Muppets and Sesame Street, yes. so Jim Henson has a, a nostalgic um, point in all of our hearts. And I suppose that's the other thing I want to mention about just this movie, the nostalgia of this, mm. because it is something from my childhood and you've already said it's from your childhood. And I have so many memories and discussions and, and just experiences in life that relate to my knowledge of this movie. So it has a lot of nostalgia points going for it. I think yeah, the word you use, uh, something from your childhood, it is my childhood, yep. this film. So uh, it is interesting when you watch people who have never seen any Star Wars and they go back and watch this original trilogy and they oh, well, that's a bit hokey. Oh, you know? <laughs> think, yeah, but you haven't got that childhood um, that's viewpoint right. of it. Um, I, I should say and should acknowledge there's a lot of probably listeners who weren't children when they saw Star Wars for the first time, and yet yes. it still has the same emotional appeal. Uh, and I think that's more to do with the um, the quality of the film that was available at the time. Yep. Um, not to say that Star Wars is the best quality set of films out there, but um, it is. it has a special milestone in everybody's brain. The world changed. Yes. And the thing is, it's still an underdog story. We've got good guys versus bad guys, mm. and we want the underdog to escape and win and for the good side to prevail. So it's a classic storytelling device, it's and archetype. it's done well. And to talk about that, I might segue into the education side of it because what you've got here is a classic hero's journey structure. And the interesting thing about this film is it's not the whole of the hero's journey, although you can see expressions of it in that there is actually an ending and, and so forth in the film, but it's a portion of it. So, Daniel, the hero's journey is basically where I'm in – this is a whole theory of cinema and a whole theory of narrative that goes beyond that. So if you want to look at it, look at um, Joseph Campbell's readings or writings on this uh, area of, of narrative structure – but basically you've got a hero who is called to a purpose and he expresses, or he or she, expresses some reluctance. In this case it's Luke Skywalker. Uh, and then something happens that pushes them into the journey. So all of that happened in Star Wars Episode Four. So his uncle and auntie are murdered. He can't stay. He's got to go forward on the journey. Various things happen on the hero's journey, but part of the genre uh, is expressed more in Asian films, of which Star Wars is actually stealing rather liberally, is that the student would seek a master. Unfortunately for Luke, his master dropped dead in the other film. Really unlucky. Just a 
natural causes. <laughs> no, no, it was natural. Not natural. He got, you know, a lightsaber through the neck, but <laughs> I've heard that's bad for you. <laughs> it is. <laughs> So he has to go out and find a new mentor, a new master. Uh, and um, as you rather poetically put it, he did it in a state of hypothermic. Um, hypothermic distress, was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so Obi-Wan Kenobi reaches out and says, hey, you should go to the Dagobah system. And it looks like I found a substitute. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> a substitute teacher's waiting for you. <laughs> So off Luke goes to um, seek his substitute master and um, what happens then is a series of training exercises and we'll come back and talk about this a little bit more. But Luke then decides that he is done with the training and he needs to go off. And this is a bit of a classic of Asian film in that the student will go off and try the enemy, try the master of the other, the enemy side. And if he does that too soon, of course, he fails and comes back. And, of course, when he comes back, the master is pretty much always dying. Now, that <laughs> portion happens in Return of the Jedi. So what we've got is that in-between part of the hero's journey. Yep. So um, because Daniel's looking at me a little bit cross-eyed, I'll back off the hero's journey <laughs> theory. But I want to explain that there's a whole lot of inherent um, education thought in educating the hero so that he's prepared to meet the enemy. Um, I forgot that I was doing this recording with a film teacher. So <laughs> there's so much more depth to how the story is put together that I don't see at face value because the the journey of the hero and the development of the the characters like that are just things that I kind of go along with and I enjoy to watch. So it's really fascinating to hear that. I've, I've watched a few um, uh, traditional Asian movies like that, um, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, yeah, yeah. Jet Lee, yes, yeah, so love them. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's, that's the extent of my 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 um, knowledge. To our listening audience, I will be giving him DVDs of every film he needs to watch. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the exploration of that um, master student is familiar. And, of course, movies like Karate Kid that popularised it for their, their Western audience, mm. um, I recognise that, but it's not something I'd ever thought of as um, a storytelling device. Yeah, and a, a very uh, – a, a storytelling device with a long, long history. So even before film – this storytelling device is very much used in pretty much every narrative structure and every narrative form that you could find. Um, but in in particular with film, uh, Japanese, Chinese and American film, particularly Japanese and American film, had been swapping this structure backwards and forwards for many years. And, of course, um, there's a lot of samurai films that have influenced Western films and then Western films that influence samurai films and eventually you get both a Western and a samurai film in Star Wars because it's a space western. And I remember, yeah, I remember this being described as a western in space yeah. because it was 
one of the first films to actually be in that kind of setting. And, of course, now that's just a normal thing that we expect to see. Yeah, they have a lot of classics, Firefly, all that sort of genre have all come from there. But Star Wars was one of the first to repopularise that in the late 70s, obviously 80s. Um, well, it was really moving on from – you had the original Star Trek, mm. which was your adventure every episode that got wrapped up, and things like Forbidden Planet and um, Lost in Space. They were these neat little episodes, but they, they were almost soap opery, single-contained things, whereas this was the real Western gunslinging and um, good versus evil, cops versus robbers kind of thing that was played out in that. So it really opened up. The genre, and I gotta say, I'm pretty grateful for that to have happened. Yeah, it brought a um, sort of a, a dirtiness, a, a bit of rough and tumble back to the um, yeah. the, the genre. Like there, there is a place, of course, for the high-minded, um, philosophical Star Treks and all those other uh, space exploration ones, which were cleaner in some ways, and certainly in the way they depicted humanity. Um, that's changed a little bit with the latest Abrams ones. They're yeah. trying to bring that um, the dirty side of humanity back into it. Um, but, uh, yeah, Star Wars certainly in the 70s was harking back to, yeah, this is something we do well, i.e. Westerns. Let's put it on screen in a different format. And this is the other thing it draws from Westerns is Westerns were always visually stunning as well. They had... Yeah. The, the different landscapes, which Star Wars definitely, it always has at least three startlingly different landscapes per film, um, probably more. I'm geeking out. I'm very sorry. No, no, you totally are, and that's quite all right. <laughs> um, so we've been talking about the film side of it. If we focus more on the education side, you were talking about the hero's journey with the master-apprentice um, dynamic. How do you think that was portrayed in this film? Was it a good representation? Was it good teaching practice? <sighs> Leaving aside probably episode four, um, Luke doesn't have a lot of time with any of his masters. No, he doesn't. Yeah, which Obi-Wan dying was a bit of a probably an oops. Um, for it's like <laughs> Luke didn't choose to walk away from that. Somewhat unplanned. Somewhat unplanned, particularly on Luke's point. The, whether it was unplanned on ter- in terms of Obi-Wan's point of view, I don't know, because um, there is that enigmatic look towards Luke in um, Episode 4. I am yep. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm but um, does he have enough time with Yoda? Now, you Luke does walk away from that mentoring relationship. He's drawn away from the learning. Yep. Um, is Yoda a good teacher? Ooh. Yeah. Uh, no. No, he was terrible. <laughs> he was terrible. But come on. Have a go. You'll get there. <laughs> oh, you didn't get there. Have another go. You just have to believe. You know, it's like. The end of the Polar Express. You can hear the bell if you just believe. <laughs> There's a bit of that with the Force. That was a truly terrifying film. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit of just close your eyes and be calm and believe and it'll all work. So in terms of uh, it, my opinion of that relationship was that the mentoring didn't have a structure that provided for good 
educational learning mm. because it was just, oh, okay, come on, have a go. Oh, it didn't work. Have another go. And I'm not surprised Luke got frustrated through that process. I had a go and it's not working. And I did what you told me and it's not working. You go, yeah, but you didn't really. Have another go. Oh, but I tried and it's not working still. All right, I'll prove you wrong. And lifted the whole ship out of the swamp. And then we go, oh, he was right. Okay, I'll have another go. Oh, now I'm doing better. So in terms of um, the dynamic between the two of them, it was all just kind of on faith that it, which I suppose is the argument about that's how the force operates um, because it's within us. So there's a bit of a mystical, spiritual kind of side, uh, particularly in what Yoda was saying. Um, the force is all around us and it's in everything. So um, if you can focus your attention, uh, which is, again, uh, my limited knowledge of Asian film and culture, but the channeling your chi. Mm. Um, so it's very much like that where you just focus your attention. And that is very clearly elite athletes spend a lot of time on that kind of stuff because it's channeling the attention into a particular thing that you're trying to do and you keep on doing it and practicing it until you get it right. The difference between Luke Skywalker and Roger Federer, though, Federer spent decades practicing and honing those skills whereas luke skywalker's just walked along and gone hey as a, a ghost told me to find you in a swamp uh and teach me something and um i'm gonna be here for a day or two yeah and see the the relationship of a uh an apprentice finding the the master and approaching the master and saying please teach me Luke didn't know Yoda from a bar of soap. It there was no... he it was a bar of soap. <laughs> I think I've seen bars of soap that are in Yoda shape. So <laughs> is that my Christmas present? <laughs> um, Duly noted. <laughs> yeah, no. It, so usually in in this uh, genre of film, the pr- apprentice would know of the reputation of the master and approach with some sort of. Um, due reverence and therefore be more probably uh, receptive to just being told to do things because the reputation of the master has proceeded. So it comes to expectation. Yeah, yeah. So he had no expectations of this little um, swamp dweller. Um, You know, no offence to our swamp dwellers who are listening. (laughs) But um, he... I think it's also he's probably come from a very different education system. Like where do you think Luke went to primary Oh, secondary. You think he's homeschooled? Yeah. I, I wonder if he had like education distance, like you know, by the air. No, he was on the shop. farm. He was homeschooled. homeschooled. It, it was learn the lie of the land. Um, you've got this kooky old guy Ben that lives off in the caves with all those um, scary monsters. We can't go near. So, see, that's the thing. Ben was far more of a um, enigmatic, mystical figure. So when he was on start- camera more too. Yeah. So we actually got to see him being the teacher. Yeah. Um, and Luke had a lot more time for him. Um, I, I suppose the other question is um, Luke's overt racism when he just sees Yoda and dismisses him <laughs> absolutely as a teacher. Absolutely. Can we get over that? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the – it's what you were talking about. Um, if you have the expectation that someone is going to be helpful to you, 
you're receptive to the information they give. Whereas if you go and expecting that I'm stuck in a swamp and this is just a fool's errand, then you're already expecting to fail. So when you are given the tasks, you are going to fail, which again, I don't believe it. That is why you fail is entirely accurate. Mm. Um, however, Yoda and Luke haven't got the rapport going for that piece of advice to really sink in and make a difference because mm. Luke's still being a petulant crybaby because things aren't working straight away for him. And with our, our bit of knowledge of the, um, the prequel films, what we know from that is that maybe Master Yoda is used to working with younger students. Well, he actually said that uh, when he had his discussion with Obi-Wan Kenobi in the hut when they were having dinner. In front of the student. In front of the student. Go That's on. right. So poor form there. I cannot teach him. The boy has no patience. He will learn patience. Hmm. <sighs> Much anger in him. Like his father. Was I any different when you taught me? There's not ready. Yoda. I am ready. I Ben, I, I can be a Jedi. Ben, tell him I'm ready. Ready, are you? What knows you ready? For eight hundred years have I trained Jedi. I don't count where well, I keep on who is to be trained. He did die. Must have the deepest commitment. Hmm? The most serious mind. This one, a long time have I watched. All his life as he looked away to the future, to the horizon, ever his mind on where he was. Hmm? What he was doing. Adventure. Hey, excitement. Hey, Jedi craves not these things. You are reckless. So was I, if you remember. He is too old. Yes, too old to begin the training. But I've learned so much. Will he finish what he begins? I won't fail you. I'm not afraid. Yeah. You will be. You will be. Never say it in front of the student, but he was saying, he's too old, I can't teach him. I work with younger people. It's too late to do anything here. So while there are some subtle things setting up the expectation of what Luke can learn. There are some really overt things done right to his face. Uh, no, you're too hot-headed and cranky for me to work with you. I don't want to teach you. Uh, and that's a pretty... Uh, it's risky. It is risky. It's also a pretty... Un, or unhelpful is not the right word, but it doesn't create a good learning environment. <laughs> no. no. It also sets, um, well, it sets a limitation in the student's mind. Oh, yeah, the, absolutely. The teacher says I can't learn this properly, so I'm only ever going to learn it partially at best. 
So um, why bother trying very hard? I'll just do what I do. It's impossible. I can't achieve. Yeah, I, I, I'm guessing Yoda was sort of trying to do the thing of, um, I'll tell you you can't do it and you'll get even more determined to do it, um, which Luke somewhat expresses. Yeah. But still there's that reluctance. Um, if you're going to have that reputation or that um, attempt to say to someone, you won't be able to do this, and the other person bucks up and says, yeah, I'm going to show you, I'll, make, I'll do this, you've got to have your reputation as a teacher firmly in place before you've even attempts and stuff like that, and I would not recommend it. <laughs> um, I found it interesting, again, something I hadn't really noticed until I looked at it through this particular lens. Um, the relationship between Luke and Yoda was recreated in the relationship between Luke and Darth Vader mm. because when he went to rescue uh, Han and Leia and Chewie and the others at uh, Landau's uh, Cloud City, mm-hmm. he then faced Darth Vader and had that battle. And Darth Vader had the reputation already. Yes. Luke knew who Darth Vader was and he had a reputation, so Luke already had a pers- perception that this is a very powerful person that I'm going up against. So then when Vader was trying to turn him to the dark side, he was saying things to try to entice him. And it was, You have learned much, young one. But come with me, I will show you more. Here's an example of things I can show you. Because then when they're fighting, um, just before the window breaks, uh, uh, Vader's using the force to throw uh, all the objects around the room at Luke, uh, which was the production quality somewhat amusing as he <laughs> waved his lightsaber nowhere near the objects but still got knocked over by them. Um, but it's with the mind, it's not the lightsaber. <laughs> well, it didn't work. Yes. It's funny. Yes. Um, but then when one of them went through the window and then and they, they got sussed out. And, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. right. I mean, they were still paying off the, the city. <laughs> right. Um, but it was modelling. I'm demonstrating my ability with the force and showing you that my way is better. So come with me and you know my reputation and we are fighting. So you see that I am a formidable uh, person. I am very skilled in the thing you are trying to be skilled in and I can show you how to develop it more. Here's the proof. Um, And so putting that against the way Yoda and Luke were interacting, where Yoda's saying, Yoda didn't need to say he was powerful because he just is and doesn't need mm. to showboat. Yes. And Luke doesn't believe he's really that good until that moment of, it's impossible. Right, oh, you little whippersnapper. I'll show you how it's done. And he goes, oh, oh, oh no, you really do know what you're talking yeah. about. But that had to be earned. Yes. Whereas with Darth Vader, he already had this image out there. And so it was a more effective way for Luke to learn because he was already primed to take in information. And when it was shown to him, his belief was easier to come by. Now, the question is, did he believe more because of his perception of Vader from previous, uh, the previous movie and um, previous experiences with the Rebels? Or is what he learnt with Yoda primed him to be more receptive to 
the possibilities that Vader was indicating. Really thinking through that. Mm. See, I was seeing it from a structural point of view in that he's gone from Master Yoda's dojo and has entered into um, Darth Vader's dojo and confronted the master and there's that typical scene of being beaten up in the dojo at which point it's only inevitable that um the student tail between the legs would go back to the original dojo and say oh i I didn't like their methods of teaching (laughs) (laughs) i'm black and blue can i come back to you i'd like to stop now (laughs) so um yeah now i'm just processing what you said against Because I'm not coming at it from a storytelling film historical (laughs) point of view. I'm looking at rapport between student-teacher. And this is clearly one-on-one teaching. Mm. So one might even say it's tutoring as well. And there's a lot of people that might be listening to this who work as tutors where they do work one-on-one. Musicians, uh, sports coaches, there's a lot of one-on-one tutoring, teaching, coaching that happens but that works best when you've got that relationship where they know you're good um, and so you go, oh, I'm holding you up on a pedestal. I want to be, I want to have the skill that you have. And so one of the things about uh, when I used to coach, uh, I did a coaching course many, many, many years ago and they were talking about that kind of relationship and it was the thing where Roger Federer, still has a coach even though he is the best tennis player in the world mm. uh, or at least is at this the time of this recording. Mm. Um, Serena Williams he has more achievements than any male player, yet she still has a coach. Mm. Um, and she did it. She managed to win a title whilst pregnant. So, you know, power yeah. to you. Yeah. Um, but you don't get to that point where you don't need a coach anymore because your skill always needs someone with the right ability to observe to give you the feedback and to have that discussion. But that discussion only happens when you're in a situation where you can have an honest, critical discussion that's uh, positive, so positive critical uh, critiquing rather than just oh, they're being really negative in their critique and just telling me I'm no good at things. It's, no, here's how we work together. And so Luke hasn't had that relationship with anyone except maybe Obi-Wan Kenobi Mm. when he knew him as Ben. Yeah. And it was, oh, I'm guiding you and I'm helping you and from a distance I'm I'm giving you little bits of knowledge along the way and now that you've found out who I am, I'm teaching you things, but now I'm dead, go to my partner Go to my mentor, yeah. who you should respect, but that's just based on trust. There's no knowledge, so it's it's in uh, engendering that relationship where you can talk critically in a positive way to get that positive feedback to develop your skills. That's really important, and I think there are moments where that could have happened, um, but Darth Vader had his own purposes. So it wasn't going to go that way because he was trying to turn him. And Yoda had his own baggage that we now know because of the prequel movies where he went, I'd love to teach him, but, gee, I'm really – I got burnt the last couple of times I tried this, so I don't know if I want to go down that track again. Yeah, that Skywalker name, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and so you go, well, now there's this mentor that has all this baggage that doesn't want to go down that path 
but you've got a student who wants to learn. And so, yeah, I could teach you, but it could go really badly. So I don't know if I want to do that, but gee, you're really keen. Um, and of course, Yoda eventually goes, okay, I will teach you. And it's because Obi-Wan said, no, no, trust me. It'll work out. Yeah, yeah, the personal endorsement of another uh, former teacher. Yeah. To bring this into sort of a a real-life analogy, something that you said struck a memory for me, I was working with an expert teacher who was uh, applying for recognition as a highly accomplished teacher. Uh, In Australia we have uh, standards at different levels and she was applying upwards to the high accomplished. And the feedback she got was – um, which I was helping her write her application, the feedback she had included the words, a master musician doesn't need any more training, so oh. why would you need any more training? It, to which both the applicant and me, we were just horrified that a very high up person in education had said, at some point you will be the teacher that never needs to train again, never <laughs> needs to think about practice again. Um so good, strong belief in lifelong learning. Well, that's what the lifelong – when you were talking about Yoda, um, I, I was, had the, the phrase go through my head that Yoda is not a believer in lifelong learning. <laughs> Unless you learn it when you're young, you're done, man. Like, honestly, even though Yoda is known to have been – continued to have been a mentor for Obi-Wan and for Qui-Gon and, like, you know – Everyone. Everyone. But who was – his yeah um, teacher who was his critic I, I don't know yeah um, and I think that gives me a bit of a segue one of the the other thing that I want to talk about is behavior management related and one of the things <laughs> whose behavior the teacher or the student <laughs> yes uh, absolutely we'll, we'll see where it goes okay um, one of the big reservations for Yoda taking Luke as a mentee, an apprentice, was his anger. Yes. He recognised the very short fuse, and I alluded to it, and maybe I'm revealing some of my pet peeves in my language describing Luke's petulant, childish (laughs) behaviour. He he did throw tanties, it's true. He he did, and so that really short fuse, that emotional intelligence, um, needs to be handled to... It, it, you, you need to do um, activities to actually focus on that behaviour, uh, which show a student that there are other options than just throwing a tantrum or getting angry and throwing something or hitting something. And while he is there to learn how to fight, so there is violence involved, um, in a school situation or even in a martial arts class one of the big things that I know about martial arts, disclaimer, having never done any martial arts beyond watching Jackie Chan, <laughs> um, one of the big things is that fighting is the last resort. You learn to control your emotions and manage the situation, but you know how to defend yourself through the martial arts if the need arises. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that comes through in the films as well. But one of Yoda's biggest concerns was, he is too hot-headed. I don't want to teach him because uh, it's if I teach him the skills to be violent, he doesn't have the temperament to hold back and not leap to that as the first uh, strategy to deal with conflict. Mm-hmm. 
And of course, we already know from the other movies, spoiler, Yoda has had that with Anakin. Mm. And so the family relationship, he goes, he's just like his dad. He can't control his emotions. He, if I teach him how to fight, he's going to become violent because he can't control it. And so that behaviour management approach, I don't think there are very many teachers anywhere that would go, uh, that would just write off the student and say, you can't learn how to manage this. But I don't think it's just that Yoda was saying, I don't think he can learn. It was more, I don't want to teach him. He's an old man. He doesn't want to deal with all hot-headed kids anymore. He's retired. <laughs> That's right. But the the other thing that Yoda might be hesitating is that you, you've got this hot-headed kid um, and he's like, I can teach him all of these things that would make him even more hot-headed and lead him to the dark side, absolutely. Um, but there is an imbalance, obviously, in the force, yes, but the imbalance between whether you can defend always or whether you go on the offence in order to stop something happening, so the, the preemptive strike, um, which is something I think Star Wars actually struggles with throughout all of the stories, is when do we sit passively and when do we step in and resist? Um, obviously, things went wrong because the, the Imperial Forces won <laughs> way before Episode 4. This time. This time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that, that balance between or do we teach someone to fight or do we teach someone to be passive and to just protect is a really interesting thought. And I, obviously the film was discussing it. No, that's right. And I think about students that I've worked with where there are some that you just stand back and let them blow off steam because they blow that off, then they calm down and they go, right, now that you're calm, let's get back to it. But there are some that you know, I can't let that kid just get upset and blow off steam because something will happen. So I'm going to step in now and pick the fight or intervene before it escalates. So being able to recognise when a situation is going to escalate is an important skill that almost every teacher just has inbuilt. And see, just looking at Luke Skywalker, yes, he's petulant. Yes, he's a, he's a bit juvenile for his age, absolutely, in terms of his behaviour, self-regulation. But it's not like he trashed Yoda's house or, That's right. um, you know, Burn down the forest, or <laughs> so it's an unfair judgment. It really is. It really. He's no Anakin Skywalker. You know, he's not burned a village full of people. That's right. <laughs> and of course, everyone knows the the idea that you never compare a child to their siblings because you don't live in the shadow of someone else's because it just makes them feel inadequate. And and so he's living in his father's shadow. That's completely unfair. So he is unfair. a different person. Yeah. However, he is still related. And there are potentially genetic traits and um, family issues that come up and you go, but you have to actually teach and deal with that and cater for that. So are we saying that Yoda is probably more on nature versus nurture? <laughs> because I think absolutely because the mysticism that he's got in the chi, it, he's very in touch with the nature of what is 
just your genetic traits will show through. Absolutely. And yeah, they were taking kids away from their families and putting them into Jedi training school yeah. and those other things. So it's just like a good old boarding school. <laughs> uh, it, it is a, a nurture way of teaching yeah. because you've got to take them away from their who would have thought there'd be an inconsistent educational message in this movie? It's like they didn't think it through. <laughs> Which brings me to my other point. Poor old Leia, she's just been abandoned, so who's going to be her mentor? Well, it always annoyed me growing up about Leia's character, especially when we found out that, of course, um, she's the sister, et cetera, et cetera. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, she never had a chance to have this education offered to her. And I know she's a princess and she probably went to the finest schools, all those sorts of things. But when it came to her chance to be a Jedi, uh, no education option there. And I call sexist. I'm not going to argue with that. I think it's most unfair. <laughs> Particularly given the look on your face. I'm not going to argue with that. Should have been a Jedi. <laughs> Absolutely, she should have. Um, anyway, yeah, that may have been addressed in the um, expanded universe, but we won't go into that. Look, in terms of um, physical abuse as a teaching tool, I think that both Darth Vader and Yoda get into this. Now, admittedly, Yoda's only hitting him with a little stick, but Darth Vader, I'm just going to say I don't approve of his... Um... <laughs> Daniel has lost it. <laughs> wow. I didn't think we'd be talking about physical abuse as a teaching tool. It's just horrific, <laughs> and I think we should all agree not to do it. For the record, in Australia, corporal punishment in schools has been outlawed for about as long as this movie's been released. So, well, um, not in all states. No, not in all states. No. Um, but it is certainly not something that happens anymore. And while there are places around the world where corporal punishment exists, it's not the way that uh, education goes. So, yeah, I, I'd have to agree that corporal punishment isn't necessarily an effective motivator or, or a way to create a safe and nurturing environment to learn. Here's some other things I don't like about Yoda's teaching style. Oh, well, no. <laughs> I'm just getting into Go this now. It. The verbal abuse. We've talked a little bit about talking about the student in front of, of the student, um, but he, he teases relentlessly. And, like, okay, yeah, a little bit of teasing might develop camaraderie, but, my goodness, <laughs> like, he doesn't let up. At least Darth Vader is trying to convince rather than just tease Persuasive, Persuasive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't believe I'm coming down Darth Vader's side or something. But I know. It sounds like you're oh. saying that Yoda's gone a bit dark. Well, no. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is he has no scaffolding, no explicit instruction, um, no safe fail space. Like, just do or do not. What? No. What type of teaching do you well, think that? There is no try. <laughs> so you can't try and fail. Like There's no learning from failure. It's just do it. Yep. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not about to speak on behalf of Yoda. Um, I do appreciate the idea that believe that you can do it because your expectation is what you'll be able to achieve. If you don't expect that you can um, do it, then you won't. Yes. But Yoda's phrasing may have needed some work. Yes. 
But they could probably apply for everything Yoda says. Well, I don't want to, you know, get into his syntax. So, you know, he obviously just comes from a different culture. But that's when Yoda needed a, a peer observation session and the peer could have come in and said, look, mate, when you said that, I think you should clarify with the, with the student next session. Yeah, where was Obi-Wan when all this was going on? <laughs> he was clearly floating around there because he had a chat to them. Well, Obi-Wan was uh, a far better instructor. I think everyone was be like, oh, Yoda, don't say that. And yeah, but Obi-Wan can't tell him off because that was his mentor. <laughs> Awkward, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Should we talk about um, Darth Vader uh, a little bit as a teacher? Um, I thought that his instruction was quite explicit. Obi-Wan has taught you well. You have controlled your fear. Now, release your anger. Only your hatred can destroy me. Like he's saying, do this to get this and... Look at the benefits of my teaching style. Yep. <sighs> what a different film it would have been if you'd chosen that part. <laughs> it would have indeed. <laughs> um, should we talk a, just a little bit about Darth Vader and his master? Yes. Darth Vader still very much has a pupil-mentor relationship with the Emperor in in this film, all the way through actually. Um, and Darth Vader says, look, Emperor... I know you want Luke Skywalker dead, but I think that we can um, draw him over to this side. And Emperor says, yeah, have a go at that project. Report back. Let me know how it goes. Darth Vader goes off and does a bit of an experiment. Doesn't work in the end. Doesn't get Luke Skywalker. But there's still an explicit mentoring uh, process that's happening there. I'm not saying it's for the good of the universe. No, and, and I think you're right, but there's a step that, uh, needs to be included in that. It's go away, have a go, come back. Oh, it didn't work. It's dead. <laughs> so, like, the severity of consequences a bit more increased than getting whacked on it by a stick from Yoda. Um, so, yeah, it's go, go, have a go. Do a project. Come back and let me know how you go. But if you don't get it right, I'm going to kill you. Yes. <laughs> I agree with you. I might be backing off this. But Darth Vader <laughs> then actually uses that structure to work with all the different commanders of the ships. Yeah, it's a case of effective modelling. Yeah, and he passes it on. Now, Darth Vader doesn't get <laughs> by the Emperor because he obviously it turns up in the next film. The only reason, I think, is because the Emperor had no one else to replace him with. Yeah, so still too useful. Vader would have been killed if there was another Vader. Just like, um, again, crossing over to another film, the uh, Sith Maul. Mm. Darth Maul. Darth, yeah, the Sith. Darth Maul. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, he failed a couple of times. He eventually died, but uh, there was something in that. It was there's always... One master, one apprentice. Mm. And so one emperor, one Vader, if he punishes Vader with death, who's going to take his place? Because you've got to convince another Jedi to cross over. Which is why the Emperor in Return of the Jedi has a crack at converting Luke so he can get rid of Darth. Yeah. Yeah. New student. Yep. New blood. Yeah. <laughs> and so Vader would have also watched the Emperor just meet out punishment with death, with Everyone else who had failed him, 
um, throughout their long history of student mentor. Uh, and so then Vader goes and recreates what he saw. That is interesting. Because looking at Darth Vader's um, style of teaching, he really believes in that boot camp, like Phoenix from the Ashes sort of teaching style, in that I'm going to destroy your personality, I'm going to destroy your body, and once I'm finished destroying all of you, you will arise as the perfect next version of me, that sort of teaching style, um, which is still used in various militaries around the world. Absolutely. Break down the personality and out will come the perfect soldier. Um, just so, yeah. follow instructions. No yeah. thought, just do. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I've got a lot to think about. I'm going to watch <laughs> all these films again. Oh, no. Yeah. So I think that brings us to the end of the podcast where we need to ask some questions. Well, Daniel, first off, I'm going to say there was no education montage in this film. There was no montage. Disappointed. (laughs) My favourite bit of any film. The closest it got was the flicks between uh, Luke going through the swamp. Yeah. He'd go through the swamp, then it'd flick to say, let's check in on the rest of the story, back to Luke in the swamp, check in on the rest of the story, back to the swamp. So not a montage, but still... Yeah. No time frame for how long he was on Dagobah with Yoda. Yeah, and I was thinking about that. I was like, well, you know, is this two days? Is it a week? Is it two months? But, of course, you do have the other storyline going, which does keep So it's time. clearly a day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two, maybe two, three. Who knows? <laughs> two, three hours. Yeah. All right, I got the ship out. See ya. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll ask, mm. is this film an accurate portrayal of education? No. Not good education. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad you said that because I was trying to work out how to say yes, but. Um, no, it's not. Uh, any successful coach, student, mentor relationship doesn't operate like that because the relationship isn't there. So, no, it's not accurate. It might be accurate in that possibly before we had the, whether you want to call it a craft, art or science of teaching came into being, um, this may have been more like what was happening. I also think that there are plenty of people who work as tennis coaches, swim instructions and things that don't last very long at their job because they do operate like this. So I think you could... Put a, put a view forward that there is accuracy in that there is plenty of black, bad instruction mm. and this kind of replicates it. But in terms of is this an accurate portrayal of education, I don't think, no, it's not. Not education. No. Is this relevant to today <laughs> from an educational point of view? Um, bit of an instruction manual on how not to do it? Yeah. I think... If people, the reason we chose this uh, movie for this podcast is because this podcast focuses on the teacher-student relationship. So wherever you have a teacher and a student, it is relevant to think about, well, how do I explain things to my students or Mm. how did I interact with my teachers? So I say, yeah, it is still completely relevant because that one-on-one teacher-student relationship and instruction happens every day. I was going to make a joke about using puppets and teaching, but it's not worth it. 
I think it is. <laughs> I think I already know the answer to the next question. Amy, do you think that this is a good movie? Yes. <laughs> is it the best Star Wars movie? Hmm, controversial. Um, I like it a lot. I think we've picked up on that. Um, I believe it is a good movie. I really enjoy this movie. Uh, at the start of this, I was outlining some of the uh, shortcomings that I could identify when I really analysed this, um, but I don't care. It's still a good, fun movie. It's and, I mean, it's Star Wars, so... Yay! Yeah, I can nerd out on Star Wars as well, and yeah, I enjoy it. Uh, which... Brings us to our final question. Yes. Would this movie inspire someone to go into teaching? No, I think it has inspired people to become Jedi. (laughs) Well, I can't argue with that. I agree. I don't think anyone's watched this and thought, yeah, I want to go teach in a school. Yeah, no, everyone wants to be a Jedi. (laughs) I don't know why. Like, see what happens to Luke. It's pretty horrific. (laughs) But everyone wants to be a Jedi. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of the podcast. So, thank you, Amy, for your insight. <laughs> and a big thank you to Erin Ma, our fact checker. Erin is responsible for all the information that we share with you, uh, and the sources are available uh, on our website. Uh, so, thank you for listening to today's episode. We look forward to seeing you at the movies again next time. Bye. Teacher Learning Network is a professional development provider based in Australia. For one flat yearly fee, you can access as much professional development as you like online. There are membership structures for schools and teachers. For more information, go to tln.org.au. See you online. TLN is co-sponsored by the Australian Education Union, Victorian Branch, and the Independent Education Union, Victoria, Tasmanian branch. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. 